Good morning, everyone. My name is Julie. John and I have just returned from five weeks in the US, so I should say, hey, y'all, how you doing? And congratulations to Carola. What a blessing that is for our congregation. I'm reading this morning from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. So if you'd like to follow on on your device or in your Bibles or on the screen, that's Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10 today. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that that it may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Do keep the conversation going after church. Grab a coffee. Say good morning to someone you haven't met or seen for a few weeks. Ask John and Julie how the American accent's going and keep, keep being God's people with one another. In 2017, a building in the CBD was inherited by a Christian. This is the stuff of dreams, right? You get a building in the CBD, what do you do with it? Let your imagination run wild. i tell you what this person did. They allowed a Christian organisation to use it so they can further the gospel locally and globally. Why on earth would you do that and not pay off your mortgage? Well, they've understood that God is a generous God and in their own way, with the opportunity they had, with the things God had given them, they wanted to partner with God on his mission by being generous. And they thought, under God, that was the best thing to do. This too is what motivated a man by the name of Sam Houston. Back in 1853, he was a soldier and a politician, became a Christian, and everyone was totally shocked. This was the guy that you would not expect to be saved, right? More of a shock 
was when he said, and began to actually, pay half of the pastor's wage at the time. And someone asked, why on earth are you doing that? And he simply said, my pocketbook pocketbook was converted to. Two examples of people who live generously, all in response to God's generosity to them in Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves in the last section, part of Philippians. These are 13 happy verses about how to be big-hearted givers and big-hearted receivers. And if this sounds like terrible timing, like how off-putting that the pastor is going to talk about money and giving and generosity when rates are going up, petrol's expensive, and the cost of living squeezing us, I hear you, so does Paul. He's not actually asking them to give anything more. He's thanking them, they've been generous, and want to keep being generous, even if their situation doesn't allow them. Some of us might feel that too. And so what Paul says is actually a huge thanks. And he also reminds them of two speed bumps, you could say, that generosity or the lack of can sometimes make in us, that I'm sure you can relate to. One of them is contentment, and Sue helped our kids understand that before, and also meeting our own needs. And Paul addresses both of them by pointing the Philippians and us back to the gospel of Jesus, because after all, just as Jesus gave us himself, we are people who give generously, confident that Jesus will meet all our needs according to his glory and strength. And that all our generosity, all our receiving is not really for us after all, but it's for the praise and the worship of God. So let's explore that. First part, first comment comes from verses 10 to 13 where Paul says, I'm really content with or without your gifts. Verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why? That at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. The gospel partnership they had for a time has been severed, cut off. They'd supported Paul on multiple occasions by sending money so he could keep doing gospel work. And then after a time of absence, Epaphroditus comes along gives him another gift from the Philippian church. And Paul wants them to know he's really grateful for that. But also, he's actually totally fine with the level of support, because in verse 11 he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He wants them to know that his gospel work isn't hanging on their money. His own anxiety isn't rising up when their support doesn't come. As he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. You may have picked up on that in the Bible reading. But did you notice that before Paul says, I'm content no matter what, he says, I have learned this. The learning is less instructive and more through practical experience that he has in mind. You learn contentment when you have little, you learn contentment when you have a lot. Like how I learnt about contentment through a lasagna. And actually, this story has nothing to do with the lasagna. The poor lasagna was the unsuspecting victim in a lesson God taught me about contentment and how God's quite interested in providing for me on his terms, not my terms. So ten years ago, a dear friend of mine in the church we were both at was coming out of a very difficult time of her life. And the church we were in was very kind, uh, caring for her brilliantly with prayer, community groups and lasagnas. And as I sat back and watched this, I thought to myself, to my shame, 
my life's a little hard, actually. And I'm not getting a lasagna. Now, I never told this to anyone. I, I just internalized it, you see. Never let it slip. And it's a really ridiculous response to see the suffering of my friend, and I'm saying, I wish I had a lasagna. And after a while of having a silent pity party, I made a comment about this to someone at church in a very subtle way, so that, in, in my own reasoning, I got a lasagna the next week. How cool is that? I was so chuffed that someone noticed me. And then, do you know what I did after I got lasagna? I went home and I ate it. And as soon as it touched my mouth, it tasted terrible. Not because the lasagna was bad, but my sin was. I got a huge mouthful of pride, literally. God had allowed me, in His kindness and His grace, to give me what I wanted, only to use it as a way to deliver me from the very thing that was eating me up. I could hear God say to me between my bites, you got the lasagna and it tastes bitter because of the sin in your heart. Are you really content in me or the lasagna, Luke? Now, I don't know if Paul had a lasagna moment. But I know that he can say in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed on lasagna or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I think there's a perception here that I had to wrestle with that lacking something is harder than having something. The challenge of less is harder than the challenge of more. And while I'm not undermining the fact that some of you have to count every dollar and do decide what you will buy and go without and how stressful that is, the solution isn't necessarily having more. Listen to Proverbs 30. And, and regardless of what you think plenty or little is, the heart of the matter is the same. Proverbs 30 verse 7. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Proverbs 30, 37-9. What's the challenge and trial of having plenty? You disown, you distrust, forget God's generosity. I'm so good, I don't need you, God. I've, I've provided for myself. What's the challenge of having less? It's being unfaithful and dishonoring God by deception and theft. I'm so anxious God can't provide, I have to do something. Like my lasagna. And Paul knows both kinds of living. Content with the money from Philippi, content when it was there, content when it wasn't, content when, when he has food, content when he has none, when he's in prison, when he's out. Paul knows that discontent is what makes us unable to see God's generosity, his provision and agenda in my life and yours and our world. And he's learnt the secret of facing those uncertain times, the stress of those moments... And the secret is not necessarily mystical, it's more discovery. You pull a watch apart to find out how it works, or you, you discover how portfolios are distributed in federal parliament, for example. The secret of being content is knowing the inner workings of faith in Jesus and how it functions in all circumstances, right? Yes, when you get the pay rise and when you lose the hours. When you are, when you are giving and serving so much and you feel like no one notices me or, or acknowledges me, or when God's kindness is just seen dripping everywhere. When you know how to pay for the car repairs, and when you feel crushed under the power bill, Paul says, in every and all situations, whether well-fed or hungry, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
You see, his contentment is not grounded in having their money or the money of anyone else. He's content because no matter what comes to him, Jesus gives him strength for that. And his emphasis here is on the agent, on God, who is in all things with Paul. Which means Paul doesn't write this to put it on a coffee cup to then manipulate the Philippians into giving more. He's not saying, you need to give to me because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He actually says, I can do all things regardless of what I have or don't have. And he's talking into the everyday sphere of life, how contentment that comes from knowing God, regardless of what he has or doesn't have, where it comes from and who gives it. In all things, Jesus has Paul's back and his strength to keep on going. Then in verse 14, he says, it was good of you to share my troubles though, because the gifts have helped to alleviate his suffering, of course. I'm content with or without your gifts. That's what he's saying. They're helpful, they're useful. Thank you. But what I value is our partnership in the gospel, not the amount of money. I'm really glad for your partnership in the gospel and your generosity. Verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days, when I set out from Macedonia, no one shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. And then in Thessalonica, you sent me gifts more than once when I was in need. Now that refers to Acts 16 to 18 and And for reasons we actually don't really know, they were the only church to give to Paul financially. So when Paul arrived in a new location, a bag of money often followed close behind from Philippi. When he was delayed, he would work as a tent maker. And he did so because Paul did not want to give the impression the gospel could be bought or it was about money. Many people in his day travelled with new ideas to try and make the preacher of those ideas rich and Paul wanted to distance himself and preach the kindness of Jesus. And so sometimes he worked part-time to provide for his needs. But then something remarkable happened in Acts 18. Timothy, who's with Paul as he writes Philippians, and another friend called Silas arrived with a bag full of money from the Philippians again. Great! And as soon as he gets the money, do you know what Paul does? He, He downs his tent, he downs the tools, and he devotes himself to the task of preaching. Their support means he commits full time, commits to full time gospel ministry. So you're all Philippi. And Lydia's here among you. She's over there in the corner, right? The businesswoman of purple silk. She's working to provide for Paul so that he doesn't have to make tents while she makes silk things with her hands so that the gospel can further spread around the region. And you look over on the other side and the jailer who, who once beat Paul is now giving a part of his wage so that more people can hear the goodness and kindness of how Jesus saves. And the slave girl, who was saved from oppression, she too, on whatever she earns, gives some of that to Paul so that more people can be like, she is free in the name of Jesus. Both parties here, Philippians, Paul, devoted to Jesus, supporting the mission in different ways. But lest they imagine that their gifts are necessary to his ministry efforts, he clarifies in verse 17, oh no, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that it be credited to your account. Because I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Even though Paul received the gifts, he makes it clear they're giving to God. Which is why he talks about giving in terms of fruit. Or some translations might say credit or profit. You see, for Paul, money and generosity are a matter of fruitful gospel ministry. A harvest, 
you could say, of people coming to King Jesus. And as they give, he sees it as a fragrant offering wafting up to God. Like in your Testament, when God is said to smell the offering and be pleased with that smell. But not every offering smelt nice. Just burning the fat of a cow and giving some grain on the altar does not make God say, hmm, yummy. Because God loves the integrity of the motive. That's what makes it sweet. A generous big heart that comes from loving and trusting Him, which means there's a spiritual dimension to financial generosity. So Jesus tells a story of a widow giving two five-cent pieces away to the temple, and He says she gave more than the GM who gave half his salary that year. Why? What? Because God views the cost of the giver, not the amount given. God's interested in a cheerful, generous heart, transformed by the gospel. That's what makes it sweet and pleasing to Him. That's why in the New Testament, you you won't find a command that says, Tim, Adam should give this amount each week. Because the amount's always governed by cheerfulness of the giver, like 2 Corinthians 9, or in accordance with your means, like in Acts chapter 11. It means we give, not awaiting until we hit the new tax bracket, but as we can to further the mission of God. And all the time, we're confident that God will keep being generous, meeting our needs in Jesus. That's how Paul rounds it up. Did you know the Bible story is one of generosity? From creation to the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God then provided clothes, giving his law and commands to Moses, setting his people free, providing them land, judges, prophets, priests, all the way to John saying, For God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only son. You see, generosity is part of the nature of God, it's part of the story he's telling. And Paul's final point sits in that context when he tells of a generous God and says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. That was a verse Charles Spurgeon etched into one of the um, pillars of his orphanage. God will meet all our needs according to his riches in Christ. And in mind, Paul has, Paul has in mind here not just the incarnation or the salvation in Jesus, but this ongoing provision of a generous God in their life. That this God, who loves and watches over his people, will meet their needs where, how, the location, the glory of Jesus. And that's really important. Because if the location in which God will meet our needs is in my performance, I will glorify my ability to work. Or I'd be a puddle on the floor if I couldn't work, right? If the location was in my bank account, I'd live and die by the interest rates and the promotion. If the location was in not having anything, then I'd hold up a less is more mentality. Is the only way to be faithful. But the location is in the glory of Jesus. And from there, he will meet your needs. To ensure the glory stays with Jesus and doesn't make us think we're glorious. You see? Which is why Paul ends in verse 20 by saying, To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When our heart is satisfied with the glory of God, not the glory of material things or money or whatever we can do, we find contentment in Jesus and not the next purchase or task. And it doesn't say God doesn't call us to abandon them or be unfaithful. It's just a question of how much glory is attached to my money or God's glory. You see? Because if God provides from his glorious riches in Jesus, it may look a little bit different than the glorious riches of my bank account. 
And one way it looks different is to the praise of God. Which means a theology of generosity ends with and leads to the praise of God. Praise on the lips of his people because such is the heart of our generous God. Big-hearted living from our big-hearted God all to the praise and glory of him. So that today we can be big-hearted givers and big-hearted receivers, the people God is making us into, you see. You see, the Philippians are very eager here to resume financial support of Paul. That's how they can be a gospel partner. That's one way. It's how they step into and be connected with Paul, even in his troubles. They're investing in Paul because they're just as interested in gospel ministry as he is. And their generosity opens up the door for God to do amazing things, things they never, ever thought possible. In verse 22, their generosity has led to people being saved in Caesar's household, hearing about Jesus, and they now want to say hi to the Philippians. How great is that? If you think back to verse 1, 12 to 13, Paul began the letter by saying, what has happened to me has advanced the gospel and your support has actually helped do that. Their big-heartedness has helped Paul, but it's not sustaining him, right? Paul has made it clear he's so confident that God will provide for them, that all their gifts are great, but his contentment is in his relationship with Jesus, not their money. And that's a great thing to know as we give. Do you give anticipating the wonder of what God will do with it? The awe, the glory and praise of God that will come through that. Do you give joyfully as a pleasing offering to God, motivated by the generosity of God to you, so it's a sacrifice of praise? Big-hearted giving. But how do you receive as well? It's one thing to give well, but do you receive well? I mean, my lasagna story is really telling there. A sinful moment learning how to be content in Jesus. Receiving what God provides when he provides, not forcing his generosity on me. And Paul reminds the Philippians, no matter what you do or don't have, Jesus is looking after you. He's helping you be content in him. So when you do receive something, you can say, I'm thrilled to bits at the heart of the giver because God's at work in them. Just like this picture, again. As Paul says to the Philippians, I'm thrilled to bits. I'm cheering you on that God is at work in you and I rejoice in the Lord because you care for me. You give, but it shows your heart and how pleasing and sacrificial it is. I just want to keep going, Philippians. Keep going, Trinity Church, Golden Grove. He doesn't need the gifts, but he's thrilled. He knows God's going to supply their needs because God is a generous God. And I just want to say that I am so glad that I serve a generous church. And I want to cheer you on to see the gospel go forth here in Adelaide locally and globally. So let's keep doing it. Let's keep being generous so that God will be given glory now and forever. Amen. And that's the book of Philippians. Let's pray and let's sing to our generous God. Father God, thank you that you are so kind. You are so generous in sending your Son, that you save us, you sustain us, you will keep us on until one day we're in your generous presence forever and ever. And those are the best days and we long for them. And until then, may we be generous now so that more people can join you to the praise of your glory. So help us be that church and thank you that we are that church. May you be given the glory. Amen.